And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon. Good evening, Dungeoneers. It's another episode of This Old Dungeon. I'm one of your hosts, Lou Aldu. Hello, I'm Edwin. Hey, this is Bill. All right, we've got an episode tonight where we're covering a, a much beloved adventure, but 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 that's got to wait uh, because first, what have we been doing in gaming? Oh, yeah, what have you been doing in gaming, Lou? <laughs> Lay it out there. I know you did. Yeah, well, I know you did some gaming. I, I have done just a wee bit of gaming lately, which is nice. A nice change of pace from writing to actually playing. Uh, so uh, Edwin and I both at, at separate times were on the uh, the Crawl for the Cure, the Ethermeat uh, version of that, the, uh, all hosted there on the DCC Mayhem channel. And uh, I got to be part of the late night hour there. We did the uh, the In Santa Claus Presents, the final admission theater and half price oyster bar, uh, where we played the game Home for the Holodeck, the MCC game. Uh, got to hang out with, uh, oh, well, you know, these are... Uh, these are this old dungeon um, uh, oh, alumni, I guess you could say. Uh, <laughs> we had uh, Brian Shutter from the Neon Lords of the Toxic Wasteland on there playing. Uh, we had my artist friend, Christopher Tupa, that, that comes on and talks with me about once a year. And then, uh, oh, let's see, uh, we had uh, Jonathan, excuse me, Jonathan Sullivan and Jonathan Kurtz, two players that I play with, and, and uh, Jonathan Sullivan's uh, you know, been been doing some writing and Jonathan Kurtz the way. I even got to know him at first was through this old dungeon. He's one of our uh, uh, pretty long standing writings. In fact, he's got a couple of them that he wrote in over the last two months for us. Uh, and then, uh, oh, who else? Uh, Matt Robertson of uh, Rules is Written was on there. And uh, oh, my goodness, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy, what is your last name? Oh, my goodness. Uh, but he he's the writer of the Cotillion, uh, also a, a DCC product. Uh, and we just had a grand old time. Uh, Crawl for Cure is always a blast. Uh, a lot of generous, generous people this year made over $4,000. Uh, and who did you get uh, a game with? I'm looking forward to watching your game once uh, Corey gets it up on YouTube because I am uh, I heard such good things about it. I'm excited to... Uh, it, everyone was bananas. It was great. So that's great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I started off the... I think you, you ended it, right? You were the closer? Yeah. And uh, I opened off the day at uh, nine Eastern, so had the morning oh, shift. Nice. We had the bookends, uh, nice. Yeah, yeah. And I ran uh, a Frog God, our newest uh, Beware the Yule Cat, our newest oh, yeah. uh, holiday adventure. But I ran it in DCC, uh, and I was, of course, doing all that on the fly. Well, really, just making making it up. I mean, we pretend <laughs> it's we pretend we're doing some significant stuff here, but I'm just making stuff up. Uh, we had a lot of uh, of good uh, donors, though, who that our first I think our first combat or our first encounter was like two hours long because there was just so many shenanigans coming in from the audience. <laughs> it, it gets tough, man. You're trying to game master, but you got that chat going and like, oh, yeah. another bone and another, you know, another Benny or whatever. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to you know balance that. That gets crazy. It was. That was super fun. Um, so that. Yeah. So I, I had that. And then uh, my. Uh, so one of the guys in that game, uh, Sean, but not gaming and BS Sean, but the other Sean who was on <laughs> that game. Uh, so I had two Sean's to uh, to monkey with. Um, I've been playing in a game that he's been running for several years now, and we just uh, just last week we started over. Like we'd hit, um, 
I don't remember what level we hit, 10th level or ninth level or something. But anyway, we started over at first level. So it's all the same players and it's a new uh, new arc. And it was it was really fun to be down with nine hit points going on to uh, you know, fight some stuff. We're like, oh shoot, this is, this is a bit of a change here. So yes, yeah, so I had that going on. And uh real quick, uh, um the, yeah. the writer of the Yule Cat uh adventure. Anthony Pryor. His former TSR. What's what's his name? Anthony Pryor. Yes, yes. He was on with uh rolling for crit or no talking crit. <laughs> That's what yep. talking yep. crit. And uh man, that guy is fascinating. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's been an honor to be working with him. He's been uh writing a lot for us recently, and it's really been uh it's really been fun talking to him. And he's on our um we have this content committee. Basically, when when pitches come in or when new uh manuscripts come in, we we read them, we talk about them as a group and just sort of figure out is this something we want to publish? And if so what direction you know should it go like something comes in you know half a page thing who knows what it really is going to be and we say well this this would be fine except maybe we should not have this thing or we should focus on that thing or whatever and his depth of experience what he adds to those conversations is just uh, is really nice um so and then yeah, other, he's got other quite Sean, the pedigree too i mean yeah he, he doesn't really you know he was on there and it, it really took some digging from the audience and from uh uh, Eric and, and Mike to really get him to say all the cool stuff he's done in his lifetime uh, publishing. Yeah. Lives. But, yep. Um, and then, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Anyway, I was going to say the other, the other Sean uh, gaming and BS Sean uh, I've been playing in an impossible landscapes with him. So we, uh, we also kicked off the next chapter of that game, uh, which was 15 years later with the same characters. <laughs> so that's also been kind of a fun it's i don't think i've ever really done that of having to take a 20 year old punk that i'd played and turn them into a a grown-up with you know who's been around the block a few times so that's been kind of a fun challenge what's the dynamic on that like i mean are there mechanical aspects and then obviously you as the portrayer of the character gotta you know decide what's gone on psychologically and all that what? Yeah, so Delta Green does have um, some mechanics for, I forget exactly what it's called, but it's basically if you've been, if you want to sort of have some mechanics to say that you've been through a few, uh, what they call operas, a few uh, Delta Green events, but you don't actually play them, then you, you can lose a little bit of sanity and gain a little bit of skill here and there. And so there's some mechanics for that. And then you lose... Uh, so that's right. We, he had us take. So there's a there's these packages which are damaged investigator damage. Um, they're not called investigators, but whatever they're called, the damage damaged goods. Uh, <laughs> and so each one of them basically involves burning one of your bonds, which is uh, the bonds are your your you know, your friends, and you can use those to sort of soak damage, soak uh, sand loss. And so you just lose one of those, and then you gain some other stuff to just sort of represent that you had gone through some things. Um, so yeah, so I, I, so we, each of us took our, our bond loss or, or damage and sort of rolled that into our little story of what happened over the last 15 years, uh, which was, it was pretty good. It's a neat, it worked out well, I think. That'd be fun. I've, I've never done that either, where it's a big jump in time. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, it was different. I feel like, cause I've done it in fantasy gaming, but then you're just like, you know, I'll the elf, whatever. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> just to just sort of put it in the real world was definitely, but what about you? Um, so I, I, I got to work my memory here. Have we done a podcast since I went to Long Con in the middle of November? No, no, we have not. Right. 
Yeah, how did, I heard the, I heard good things about the tournament, but but from your so, end, so yeah, so I I got to run. Uh, I went to Long Con. This is the first time I ever went, and I ran a uh, uh, basic D and D uh, tournament, so BX D and D tournament, but it was uh, it was uh, kind of a one v one v one v one. There were six players or six to eight, I should say, depending on what how many people played that round. Uh, and it was a go, just a gold grab. We had a giant Dwarven Forge set up that the guys down there uh, uh, did for me. Nice. And uh, which was great. Um, I have pictures of it, I think, uh, probably on the Long Con Facebook page or my own or the Pace Setter page, one of the two. But it was, it was a, a lot of fun. Uh, it was basically the first level of the Palace of the Vampire Queen, uh, massively yeah. expanded from the, what the original is. But uh, so there was, you know, a lot of fun, a lot of, uh, uh, players who people have never played BXD&D before, and oh, nice. that was really cool. That was I, that's awesome. Um, yeah, it, I, if we had one or two each round that had actually played anything before 3.5, it was a miracle. So <laughs> they're mostly 5e players, and I, I, I'll tell you right now, and I, I don't like speaking for other people, but but you know, I asked and they talked about it. We joked around the table. They had a great time. They they've never played it before. They really enjoyed it. Now that's not saying they're going to rush out and play BX the rest of their lives. They're probably not. They're going to stick with 5e, right? But I think it was a neat uh, aspect. You know, the D and D part of it was all fun. That was yeah, that was great. That was all great. Uh, I had a blast. Everyone else had a lot of fun. Um, but uh, I think the the neat aspect of it was at a convention where there's not it doesn't apparently not a lot of old school players there. It was really neat to see people play who have never done that and their reactions to things and. You know, they would ask, they would like, you know, hey, I do a perception check. I go, well, that's nice. No, you don't. So, um, <laughs> just, <laughs> you know, just stuff like that was, uh, it was really cool. And not, not in, a, in a, a jerky way or anything, but, you know, it was, it was laughs all around. But uh, I think people really enjoyed it and really loved that system for what it is, right? And I look back at how people played D&D &D 30 years mm -hmm. ago. Um, and there was, you know, we used RBX RPG rules, which does have some, a little more modern mechanics in it too, here and there, not very many, but um, so, you know, it, they, they picked it up right away. There was no lag with anything really. I mean, once they figured out. They, they could figure out how to roll that D20. Yes. And, you know, <laughs> here's here. I'm going to tell you an armor class. It's so alien. Right? I'm going to say, Hey, they have armor class five. All you got to do is look on your character. Sheet. There's a chart. Just go yep. to armor class five, with whatever weapon you use, and there's a number there. You only have to roll that or better on a D20. That's it, right? <laughs> that was a hurdle. <laughs> it was crazy enough. That became a hurdle sometimes. So, uh, you know, um, the same thing with damage, you know, rolling damage. But, you, you know, it, it, that tournament rolls really fast, and they go through rooms really quick. Um, so they, they half hour, 45 minutes into the four-hour session, uh, they're veterans at that point. So. It now in the um, tournament, do you use the variable weapon damage? Yep. Or oh, like yeah. different dies for different weapons? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We have we have uh, actually like we have a long sword does one d eight, a short sword does one d six, all that kind of stuff. You know, there's uh, uh, the whole spectrum. So we we're, it's not straight one d six rolls. No, we don't. Our BX RPG rolls don't have any of that. It's all we consider expert level, so it's all variable weapon damage and variable dice for everything. So, um, but yeah, I think uh, it went well. I had a great time. I think they all had a good time. It was a lot of fun, and you know. Uh, unintentionally it was a great way to for people to learn how to play that game or a different way of playing DD because I think it would be a lot tougher if they would have been all been a group playing together and trying to go through an adventure. Mm -hmm. I think there would have been a lot more difficulties mm -hmm. because someone would see how this guy over here would do something, ask a question, answer it, he do it, whatever he's doing. Well, now everybody else at the table knows how to do it and can strategize with their characters and 
And they're playing right. character classes that most of them had never seen or done things because we, we made them randomly pick a character in the beginning. So I had all 15 character classes in the game flipped upside down. So I said, walk around the table and pick a sheet. So whatever they got, they got. Awesome. Yeah, there's guys, that. you know, it, it's hilarious. Right? You pick up a character sheet and he says, well, this guy, this character says gnome. What is he? He's a gnome. <laughs> He's a gnome. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that it was great. And then when they died, they just, they actually, when they died, they actually could go through the stack, whatever was left and pick another character. Pick another. It was like a gold piece penalty that they would apply, but it was great. And uh, so that was what I played for the convention. Most, I, I ran that three, three times. So that was really busy. Uh, it's only a three-day convention. So um, that was three time slots there. And I played Battletech. Uh, Friday night, we did an inaugural Battletech in Long Con because we always do it at NTX. And again, we had a bunch of new players who'd never played nice. Battletech before. So that was nice too. And again, they picked on real quick. It was a bloodbath. So, um, <laughs> but that was uh, that was great. So I did get a lot of gaming and actually uh, at Long Con, I haven't done much since uh, real life's been busy. I'm I'm back to being retired again as of last Friday. So last month of work phasing out again. Um, which is, is kind of what I do. I'm a phase retiree. I phase in and phase out. <laughs> so, um, uh, with my old company, uh, I, I basically just go back for contract work or, uh, consulting kind of stuff. So now I'm, I'm out until probably the spring. I might go back for a couple months, uh, cool. if, nice. if the right project is there for me to do. But, uh, but beyond that, yeah. So I was real busy phasing out last month, but now I'm, uh, back down in Florida actually. And, uh, and I get some gaming. And I think down here, there's a group down here, that place that I, I know a bunch of guys, uh, Thomas Valley, who runs uh, Adventures League for like Gary Khan and Game Hole. Oh, okay. He lives right down the street. Uh, Ben's known him for a number of years. So I bring it together and play, play some five. I have to actually play some 5e. So there it is. That's awesome. In-person gaming. Woohoo! Yeah, that's right. Hey, I wanted to, uh, if we have, I don't know if we have uh, many folks in the main New Hampshire area, but we have uh, January 14th, 15th, something like that. That weekend is SnowCon just outside of Bangor, Maine. So if anyone's in the area and wants to come out and play for a couple of days, I will be there. I'm running some games, hoping to play some games. So be nice. fun to meet some folks. And that's shortly followed up by TotalCon, right? I mean, that's in February. Uh, that's in April. Bro. March, I think March. 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 Oh, that's right. Rising right. Phoenix is that is uh, I think April. Yeah. Those are down in Boston, so yeah, bigger. That's easier to get to certainly for a lot yeah, of people. Chaosium Con, which is new to, to to my area up in Michigan, is in April. Yep. So we can talk about that later when we get into our book because that's yeah, right. <clears throat> yeah. Um, real quick, because uh, okay, so a weekend ago we're playing OSC cause that's all the rage. Cause all my players got their books finally from the, the Kickstarter oh. <laughs> and all that. Yeah. 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 And, um, so we, the, the group decides to do a rest now in, in BX, how many hit points do you get when you, when you rest and eat for one day? Depends which version you're playing. Okay. Uh, okay. So classic BX, I think it's only one. I think it's one. Yeah. So, I was there. I was in your camp. I was like, guys, uh, we'll get a hit point. That's it. And they're like, no, no, we, we get one through three hit points. I was like, well, yeah, I that, that might be an OSC yeah. thing. But I looked it up, no, and in the original is. Moldvay BX, it says 1D3 hit points for rust wow. and, and food. Cool. Yeah, it, 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 it is. It is. Yeah, the, the Menser uh, version doesn't say anything about what you gain back. But there's our, like, I guess, some some descriptions that like in lycanthropy it, it reply uh, uh, implies that you get a point back or whatever but man and i, I just floored me 
In our BXRPG, we copied that word for word, actually. So I should have known that because ours <laughs> is the same way. Character rests for one full day. He regains 1d3 hit points. Yeah. In our uh, OSC game, we've just been uh, – because it was nominally – well, sort of open table, but nominally weekly or whatever. We're just like, you're fully repaired when you go back to the – you know, mm-hmm. which has been great. So, yeah, I haven't had to worry about that, which at first <laughs> level, second level, that's about right. But, of course, sure. some of the characters are getting up to sixth, seventh level and have enough hit points that it actually could take a few weeks to – but I guess now we have clerics that could cast heal. clerics so. running around. Right. Exactly. So they're going yeah. to they're heal up no matter what. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm glad I wasn't the only person that, that no, thought he was a no, hardened veteran that got the rule. Yeah. yeah. Man, I've been grilling players for the one-point recovery for years and years and years. <laughs> you never knew the difference. That's right. Now the whole world knows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys, we just got a couple uh, couple of letters here in the mailbag. You want to get to that? That's sure. Do it. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from. My opinion, this letter writer is a total wacko. So uh, keep in mind, we did an early November episode, and now we're kind of coming in somewhat late in December, so it's been a little while. We still only have three letters, but um, we have two of them from uh, Jonathan Kurtz, so we'll kind of spread this out a little bit. Uh, if I can grab the right paper, here we go. All right, so the first one, <clears throat> this was from November. Uh, Jonathan writes, well... It's been a while, but gaming vocab question number three, what is meta plotting? And while we're on meta, what is meta gaming? And if you know any other meta gaming words, let's cover those as well. Thanks. <laughs> so anything meta in gaming, what do we know and what does it mean? So I think of meta plotting as the sort of overarching campaign story that ha- that is happening in the background or maybe in the foreground eventually but is sort of that big picture plot that the characters may interact with from time to time, but that they have their little local stories that are very character focused. Um, you know, that's what they're really focused on, but that the GM is sort of thinking about this big, big story arc. That's, that's, that's how I think of it, but I don't know. So you guys may have other thoughts here. That's exactly, that's in, in, I think in old school terms, it's exactly what it is. You know, in, in the new world, like in 5e world, what do they call them? Campaign books, right? So where it takes you from first to 20th level, all in one book, but it's basically all one story, like, you know, Tyranny of Dragons or something like that. So meta plotting is, is essentially just, it's a campaign based around a single premise. Uh, it doesn't mean it, it, it diverges from point to point, but it's not an open sandbox where guys just running around everywhere. Um, you know, I guess if you're thinking old school a little bit, the, the, the GDQ series is sort of a meta plot. It's not a whole campaign. It's just starts a higher level. Well, but, you know, against, actually, the, against the Giants, Fall to the Drow, Queen of Demon Whip hits. You know, that's kind of a meta plot, right? It's, it's, I mean, it's, I, can, you know, I can see a sandbox, though, as a meta plot. In other words, that you have, is in my mind, the meta plot is what's happening sort of behind the scenes. So you can mm-hmm. absolutely lay out a sandbox and say, you guys do whatever you want, whatever floats your boat and do this, do whatever. But there is somebody who's trying to take over the world or there is whatever. And so I feel like... Cer- certainly. Yeah. I, I, was, I was talking more of a pre-published book mm-hmm. versus... Well, even um, in the published, yeah. but because I, I guess I guess what I struggle with then is what's the difference between plot and meta plot? To me, it's it's like meta plot's got to be somewhat background noise. Yeah. And if the players want to tune into that and go, "Hey, something's going on," we maybe need to address down the road here. That's kind of meta plot to me. It's it's hanging out there, but it's not what you're facing right this moment. 
And so for the, the GDQ series, I kind of see where you're going, Bill, because, you know, a lot of what's there isn't unfolding right before the player's eyes. It isn't until you get mm. further into the, the series, you're like, oh, these things are connected and this is how they're connected and this is where we got to go to stop it. Sure. And you can get as loosey-goosey or as tight as you want with a meta plot. So right. um, now metagaming, you know, there's a couple different versions of that. Um, one is a, it's actually a game company that was around in the 70s and 80s. <laughs> it produced a shit ton of pocket games when Steve Jackson uh, was there. Uh, Amelia and Wizard are the ones that come to everyone's mind, but Ogre, GEV, uh, and a shit ton of others. So <laughs> there it is. I feel like metagaming is actually gaming. Yeah. That, that could much. be argued <laughs> pretty much. I mean, I mean, I know is it has it the same right? as meta knowledge or is it just meta knowledge is used to do metagaming? It could be. It doesn't. I don't. Yeah, I guess. I mean, because I, well, I feel like the, the issue I have with the term, I mean, the term is fine. I mean, I feel like it's just doing stuff uh, based on knowledge uh, outside of your character's viewpoint or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it can be a super positive thing and a super negative thing and a super neutral thing, you know, in the, in the positive way that, you know, when you, when you take your character down into that room, you know, or go down that hallway by yourself, even though you as a player know that, you know, your character is probably going to die from doing it, but you're doing it because that's where the fun is. That's metagaming. And that's, <laughs> you know, I feel like that's a good thing to do. And then, of course, there's the opposite of like, oh, well, I press the red button three times and then I pull on the lever. Right. And then, you know, OK, well, so you read the story and, you know, the adventure. right? So I feel like, <laughs> I feel like all yeah, of that a, is metagaming. I, I do believe there's a delineation between those two things. Right. There's, well, hey, guys, we're going to play two Mahors. Of course, they're gonna metagame the shit out of that. Who wouldn't, right? You know <laughs> right. you're going to keep the horse. You know everything you look at is gonna kill you just because you looked at it. So you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna do things out of out that your character may or may not. Well, who cares? There's a different. But then you know, then we're talking about somebody who actually read an adventure module that's gonna play through it. Well, you know, come on, that's I don't know. Well, that, you get you get people who different. are who are either happy or not happy about you know talking about how many hit points you're down, right? Sort of oh, stepping sure. up, yeah, right? and so yeah, whatever. Yeah, so it's any like of that gamey this, stuff. Yeah, you got this story level of what's going on, and then you've got the the mechanics and in the game that is you know D or, or Call of Cthulhu yeah, or whatever. I, whatever I can, I can yeah. right now, I I come from that war game background. We start, first started playing D and D. We were we were in rules lawyer the shit out of things, but we sure managed the game because it's right. It was still a game at the end it's of the game. It's a game. Mm-hmm. Right. You weren't, yeah. right. You're still playing a game. Just like no different than Monopoly or Risk. You still know your, yeah, you're, your character doesn't know he has 12 hit points, but I'm playing my character. I sure the fuck know he does. So Right, and I know I'm, I'm down do to two, and I'm going to back right. up. Yeah. I'm going to do something <laughs> a little different with two hit points than I am with 10. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I don't want to hear you wouldn't really know you only had two hit points. Fuck you. Yeah, I do. <laughs> That's right. And I know that dagger does 1d4 plus one, yeah. and that means... <laughs> And I stand next to the barrel so he can't get a flanking bonus so that, you know. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I know I'm playing a first level magic user, and if I fall in a pit, I'm going to die. So, no, I'm going in. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I think it gets to that argument, you know, it gets into that whole continuum of R-O-L-E versus R-O-L-L playing and, yeah. and, and where you are on that spectrum. And Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Edwin, I think you nailed it. That, you know, it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's just a no. thing. And, and I, each I agree 100%. I, I just agree. 
it's a play style as long as you're enjoying what is everyone's enjoying what they're doing then you, you play however the hell you want to play but i think we i think we summarized metagaming in pretty much every aspect there including and i don't know it well one of the things that cracks me up is that um like i feel like there's actually a lot of the trend in modern sort of story gaming is super uber meta um like that the whole point yeah. is to say this is the experience we want or this is the story we want or this is you know hey guys are you comfortable with us having the story turn left over here and then go down you know whatever and you're like yeah yeah that sounds good no, i i was thinking maybe like like there's this whole conversation above the character conversation in order to make the character conversation be what the people want it to be and mm-hmm. so it's interesting to me that that's become such a baked in part of a lot of modern uh, role play gaming I got it's one more thing. Yeah, the attachment of agency to to the meta game or the the you know aspects yeah. of it in there. I, I got What's one more word, for you. and this is not a new word. Dragon Lance. <laughs> that was around in nineteen. Get comfortable, folks. He mentioned Dragon right. Lance. <laughs> so, yeah. So we want to we want to talk about, about that, this. Bill. This is not a modern phenomenon. I'm sorry. It's definitely no. no that more, was that was the publisher doing that. It's definitely more prevalent today than it certainly was yeah. outside that. But yeah, there it is. That was the publisher, not the not the players. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys? Um, I don't. I I don't know any other metas. Sorry, sorry to catch I, I don't either. That's the the meta game, meta knowledge, and and uh, meta plots. All I got. Yeah. Plot, yeah. All right. Let's. That's a lot on one question. Let's move on. All right. So uh, Sam Allen. Uh, this is from November. Good day, Dungeon Arkies, from the Gem State of Idaho. My name is Sam Allen, and I've been a D&D player since the days of the little booklets. There's been discussion on and off over the years about the proper amount of treasure for a campaign and the problem with <laughs> power levels increasing too rapidly as PCs gain magical items. What is your take on the right amount of treasure in a campaign? How do you make getting loot exciting for the players without winding up with too many magical items floating around the player character's packs? Love the show. Any chance you will cover some of the old champions adventures? Bill's a fan, right? Keep them coming, Sam. All right. Cool. I mean, I think one easy answer is to make the treasure story clue plot related. And then it doesn't have to be valuable monetarily and it doesn't have to be powerful magic and it still is exciting for the players um i mean obviously there's the the question of balance and there's the you know the uh treasure you know gold xp for gold and and there's a difference between you know in 5e and in 3e and in 4e you don't well i guess you need magic items but you need the right you know there's versus in the old school games where the magic items were basically the only way of getting more powerful other than hit points right there's a lot there's 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 three hours of conversation here (laughs) but um but once once you've brought in all of that (laughs) i think if you i feel like getting it to be intriguing treasure is 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 sort of my my answer on top after i get rid of the balance question so yeah, that I, first of all, that that's a great component. I like I like the idea of disposable magic items. Um, yeah, and that then no one ever have, uses them. They don't. <laughs> they they hoard them like fucking crazy. We got seventy eight potions. <laughs> yeah, it, but it, it's a way. It's a way of kind of mitigating some things. It is. Even, it is. Even stuff that has like one use per day instead of using it all the time. Um, yeah. One use per month. I mean, you you could do all kinds of fun things like that. So you could 
you could do that. But you, it, this is to me, this is this question's always been about more. You know your group better than I do, so I'm. You're going to be you as the game master are going to have a better handle on what you think you should be giving them, how much you should be giving them. How do your players handle it? Do they abuse it? Are they more relaxed about it? And it, you, so you can give them more stuff and they're not going to go crazy with it. Are they, you know, uh, the rules lawyer type that are just going to manipulate the shit out of it, the min-max kind of guys, you know, then maybe, maybe you hold back a little bit. I mean, you know your group better than, than I do or anyone else does. So you'll get a feel for, I think, how much you should be giving out you know, obviously, if we're talking about if you're using pre-published books um, and there's you think there's too many magic items in that book, you know, pull the just don't include them all, you know, right? Just do what's best for your group, because there is there's never going to be a single answer to this question. Mm-hmm. There's it's just not possible. So, yeah. Um, so I, I think for me, that's how I handle. I like the idea of magic items that are more uh not necessarily limited it could be very powerful but you can only use it once maybe you know just like that and you know what if they want to like what's that they, they they will hoard a shit ton of them in their backpack <laughs> uh but you know good that that's fine i as a dm i'd rather you know if you want to keep it in your backpack then we can have fun with you trying to get it out um when you really need it so uh that that's all great and then um the last part of that was oh i would i would absolutely dig doing champions at some point down the road uh picking out a specific uh, supplement or adventure is it's going to be tough. There's a lot of really good ones. And um, I think we would definitely want to pick one that we could this old dungeon in. So cool. uh, I think champions does have, it's, it's look, is it played a ton today? No, probably not. But I think a lot of people have played it. A lot of people know about it. So I think it would, I think I think curiosity it would be curiosity about it too. It's, it's kind of, it's yeah, almost like the D and D mystique behind it where it's, it, it absolutely this, does. And, and there's, there's, there's stigmas to it. And then people say, oh, it's way too mathy. You know, I just laugh. I'm, I just, to me, I can't understand how anyone could say that. Um, but uh, that's a great conversation to have, I think. And I think we could have fun Folks, with Folks, you have uh, to multiply by decimals when making a character. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely awesome. Um, but uh, I think champions would be a great one to go over because uh, – uh, you know, just, I know on a personal basis, like, uh, and I got called out on the, on the email. Yeah. I love champions. We played the hell out of it. We played it for uh, probably seven or eight years, multiple campaigns. Um, uh, to me, it's the best superhero game ever created. So there it is. I'm in. My thoughts on the treasury go a lot with uh, what Edwin was saying, as far as you can, you can really get by with a lot less treasure, especially magical items. If you do something unique with them, like really personalize them, describe that sword plus one as having, you know, I don't know, emblazoned uh, eagle head on the bottom of the hilt and actual feathers crafted into the the, the guard. And you, you make it something interesting, something unique, and it's more valuable just aesthetically to a player. Um, what Bill was saying, I, one of the things I like to do is, is give them an item and make it so that it doesn't, you know, have many charges to it but that you can figure out how to recharge it, but it requires like this whole other thing, you know, this whole other, yeah. you know, quest to Mordor to, you know, whatever, that kind of thing. Um, Definitely. Yeah. I uh, had one other thought. What was the other thought? Uh, oh, um, was it? Oh, the, the secret of bone Hill had a, just an excellent thing in it that I, I fully intend to rob where they had a <laughs> magic item that had not been completed. Ooh, where it nice. was almost ready to be used. You had to go yeah. and fulfill the ceremony. And that's brilliant, you know, gives the players something to do, something to look forward to. I was thinking along Bill's line, uh, 
line. It also it depends a lot on the table and the players, but it also depends a lot on the on you as the GM because I feel like if you are feeling like well, so I think about this uh, I guess because of our our Ethermeet game where you know anything can happen because people are donating money and you know just it's just a wacky wacky ass time and I really enjoy that challenge of keeping things interesting knowing that you have no idea what the power levels are going to be. And so I think that similarly, if you do want to give your players lots of magic items and it, it, it means that you're also want to be ready to make them use those magic items to come up with something that's interesting and hard so that they have to, you know, that wand of fireballs suddenly becomes the things that saves the day and allows them to succeed. Um, and as so I think, I think it, I think you, I think if you want to go the high magic route, then you want to also make sure that your, your adventure keeps up to it or leads it or something. And I think that's part of it also somehow is that balance between the, what you're coming up with for challenges and what they're coming, what they're getting for, for treasures. Inspired by that. Another thing that I think people do way too little of is you know, these characters, they dive into the, the seas, they get, they, they drop, you know, 10, 15 foot, they get, you know, hit by an ogre's club. And how many times do we as game masters think about, oh, wait, you know, you've got potions in your backpack, you've got, you know, this really breakable wand or whatever. And we never do the, the saving throw rolls and all that. I mean, I don't think you want to do that every single time, but you might consider it, you know, especially if it's dramatically appropriate, you know, that big baddie just puts you to the floor and guess what? You know, the hit points aren't the only thing you just lost. Um, so that's a good way to kind of mill through some of that uh, w- without just being a total dick. <laughs> so so back to that point, there's two more things that popped up in my head. One, we, we back when we were huge into D and, you know, playing D&D all the time for 20 years, we we used that a lot. Like um, if you got if you if the party got hit by a fireball spell everyone groaned because we were, <laughs> I mean, look, everyone's going to take a bunch of damage, right? Whatever. But that was more along the lines of we are, we know what's coming next, that little chart in the back of the DMG and on the, yep. on the dungeon master screen about your magic items getting hit by a magical fire. <laughs> we all know we're making a shit ton of saving throws. We're going to lose half our stuff. So that yeah. was a thing. And I, it still should be, to me, it's still a thing. Um, we, Again, I keep going back to pimping the BXRPG stuff, but we have it in there. We absolutely have item saving throw charts in there. Nice. Or when you get hit by a dragon breath and, you know, fall into a pit of acid or something like that. I mean, shit's going to happen. And that's a good way to, to mitigate. Again, that's, that, that's a DM's discretion thing. Don't, don't use it all the time. But if you think some guy, some specific character in your party is carrying a shit ton of stuff, that's a good way to thin his herd a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, um, I know I mentioned, uh, and we all talked about the, the limited use magic items, but like adventure specific kind of magic items kind of yeah. like you know especially you know as dms you're running a writing a campaign and you're, you're you've got four or five adventures planned out let's say you know you might give something away in the third adventure which is going to be really useful in the fifth adventure but not really useful anywhere else um just kind of stuff like that or you know stuff that you really want to use this you guys are in deep shit you really want to use this now versus you know you, you obviously not telling them that but something that is, is their get out of jail free card um, not something they want to hold on to forever. So yeah. I think there's ways to construct uh, magic items and use them that way too. So, I mean, I, I don't have any problem going back to metapotty my magic items. So there it is. Right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of that, do you guys, uh, do you instantly reveal what the magic item is? Do you yes. make them go through the, no. the identify spell or do they got to figure it out by playing? No. 
I answered too quick. At a game convention, the answer is yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. At a convention. As soon as you pick it up, you know what it is. Done, done. In my home campaign, no, it's it's typically not that easy. I mean, maybe healing potions or something like that. I, you know, hand wave some of that stuff, but uh, um, depending, it's going to be a mood kind of thing. Um, but normally, no, I think we've always played our, our group guys is always, you got to kind of figure out what this thing does. And there's different methodologies we've always used. I mean, we're not, I, I, I'd be a liar if I said we were consistent on how we did that every single time. <laughs> so, but, uh, but generally, yeah, I think we do try to make people figure things out a little bit. It's, it's kind of part of the fun of the game. You know, it's, yeah. a, it's definitely yeah. an old Garyism for sure. So, um, yeah, but that's how we handle it. I gave out a, an artifact basically um, that had, that was not an uncharged artifact. It had basically been drained over the previous centuries and they found it. And uh, and that was like, that was the campaign. That was the next campaign arc, right? Or it actually yeah. is still, cause they, you know, we're, we're on hiatus right now having finished one arc, but the next one is really, uh, so you got this thing and you know that it's can be powerful. Can you figure <laughs> out how to, get it juiced up and, and yeah. do what it needs doing they don't know what it does really they just sort of know what what uh you know they know it has something to do with healing in some way but they don't know what the any of the details i'll tell you the one thing we hand waved we started doing this very early on and i know some people do absolutely play the exact opposite way we 100 percent hand wave scrolls when you picked up a scroll you knew if it was a clerical scroll you just they figured it out right away, and he's a clerical spells and you was on. We didn't play any of the read magic games. I, it was something, and and, and the, my main reason for doing that too, mostly as a GM, is because again, I our roots go back to one E and in classic D and D, where magic users are just low level magic, so pathetically weak, right? And they just have <laughs> no spells, they have no anything. It's just you know, throw some scrolls in a dungeon, and at least give this guy a chance to do something. And, and say, no, oh, you found a scroll. Everyone's got to leave, go back to town. He's got to figure out what's on this scroll. You know, it's just, yeah, you can have fun playing that, but, you know. Well, that's the other, the other big issue long. I feel like is cursed items, right? Is uh, exactly in terms yeah. of whether you give stuff away. Cause if you, if you always give stuff away and then suddenly you don't, or, you know, yeah. or, cause there is like in our OSE game, there's definitely the fun thing. If you're in the dungeon, you find a curse, a magic item. Well, you can either save it until you go back to town and get it safely identified, or you can use that sword and see what happens. And that's a fun gamble. Like, you know, how desperate are you? Or do you want to read that? I remember one of our characters got went blind, like in first level reading a scroll, like finding a scroll and looking at it. So now we're like, oh, maybe we'll take this scroll back to town. (laughs) I'm a big fan of cursed magic items. So yeah, absolutely. All right, lots of info there. Surely you can do something with that. That's I awesome. hope so. Hope so. All right, the final letter is another one from Jonathan Kurtz. Uh, this he sent in December. Uh, actually, just this weekend we got it. Um, podcast question. I recently played Julian Burnick's Christmas-themed adventure, Home for the Holodeath, with the infamous GM in Santa Claus. <laughs> My character was a manimal bald eagle who couldn't figure out why everything was red, green, elves, and Santa Claus when red, white, and blue and fireworks would have been much more interesting. It got me wondering. We've seen a lot of Christmas and Halloween adventures for our favorite RPGs, but what about other holidays? Do you know of any based on other special days? So, Edwin, I think you get lead on this. <laughs> well, yeah, if I can. So, uh, I'm the, I'm, uh, I've been uh, championing, championing our Frog God Necromancer Games holiday adventure series, 
And uh, we have six or seven Christmas Halloween adventures, but we have Thanksgiving, St. Valentine's Day, Arbor Day, U.S. Independence Day. <laughs> and we've been thinking about others that we might get out there. So uh, I, I did do a quick search, though, to see if I could pimp some other publishers stuff. And I actually did not find much other than uh, those two, the big Christmas and Halloween. Those are definitely the the super gameable ones. I'm, I feel like the our, uh, For the Love of Valentine is definitely... Uh, an adventure that I really like that's uh, obviously holiday themed and coming right up in a couple months. <laughs> yeah, I, I I did the same thing. I did a search and you know, I'm, I like holiday adventures, but uh, um, I, I couldn't find anything either that a frog guy does. Um, oh, we got some April 1st stuff coming up in a in sometime. Nice. Soon, hopefully. Um, and we're the same way. I, we've done, Pacer has done two. We've done two um, Halloween adventures. And that, yep. that's and they're there. I haven't done one in probably three, four, five, five years since we've actually done a Halloween adventure. So I'm, I'm definitely overdue. I like doing them because I think it's you can have fun with Halloween with any holiday adventure. By the way, now I, I know some are, are probably a little more difficult or tricky to do than others, but I, I, probably why you see so many Christmas and Halloween ones, right? I mean, it's just that lends into our hobby. Right, you get a little think, time yeah. off from school. You yeah. get the friends together right. for a weekend. They're super sure. easy one shot. Yeah. Uh, now that, yeah, that said, I mean, it's Christmas time. So right now I'm working on, I do, um, which isn't Halloween stuff, but I do a big, what I call them, I used to call them my holiday adventures, but they're, they're not really holiday. So I changed to vacation adventures. So I write a free adventure based on a classic TSR module, like a supplement to one. I do it every year at Christmas and we email out to our, 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 just our email list. They all get it for free as a PDF. It's not professionally done or anything like that. It's my crappy hand-drawn maps and it doesn't really get an edit. It's my kind of stream of thought as I type it all up. I do lay it out like, a, like an <laughs> adventure module, but they're probably riddled with typos the first time through and that kind of thing. But I, I do those, but you know, I can't think of too many people that actually do holiday stuff. I mean, even the Christmas and Halloween ones, I mean, you get beyond yeah. our two companies and you guys do significantly more than we do. Goodman does a, a do them. Goodman does an annual, I'm pretty sure it's an annual Christmas uh, DCC adventure. Christmas special, but yeah, it kind of bounces around their properties, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, oh, right. is yeah, it, yeah. Is it how is it Christmas based or just is it because they do it? it, it, it yeah, some of them are snow. themed. I mean, it's yeah. okay, snowy, right, it's I'm not for, I'm not for, different, yeah, I'm not you know, elves, things. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not like, I mean, it doesn't always blatantly say, okay, it's Christmas in yeah. this world or whatever, but but that, sure, you know, sure. that feel. But it is, it's, it's, yeah, themed that way. Okay. So there's a third, but uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, like I can name adventures that would be good for different holidays, uh, but but yeah, none that are really themed for it. Like right. you know, Feast of the Goblins is a is a B series module that's sort of a, a Thanksgiving kind of feel to it. Um, trying to think, uh, you when know, Feast you, of obviously the all your horror stuff for the yeah. What, what's that? Whence yeah, because we got that Feast of the Gobbler, which I'm sure is uh, inspired a little bit by. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, that, that, yeah, I mean, that one's obviously directly, you know, right, is Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, and that yeah. one, right, as opposed to, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. so, uh, and that one is good too. I, I've read through that one. Oh, and um, the, uh, yeah, I get, well, yeah, it's like in Vino Gigantis would be, I would, you know, I could imagine doing that at Thanksgiving as a, like, there's sort of a bunch of stuff like that that you could easily, yeah, tie in, but yeah, that aren't specific to. And then you mentioned April Fool's Day, and I thought, man, you know, I would if, if you're into any sort of the the superhero games. I mean, I'd run like a Riddler or Joker adventure. Yeah, oh, you know, yeah. Be good. Uh, do that. Awesome. Yeah, they're, they're few and far between. Uh, you know, we're working on it. Here. 
Somebody write something. Yeah, I was going to say, Frog Guy does a really nice job with the variety. Pick your holiday and send me your pitch. (laughs) Care of this old dungeon. (laughs) Speaking of this old dungeon, uh, if if you want to send us a letter, um, you know, write us in. uh, You get put into the drawing for uh, geek credit. Uh, Write us at thisolddungeon at gmail.com. I always say it, T-H-I-S-O-L. D-U-N-G-O-G-E-O-N, I can't spell. But anyhow, just one D, just one D, this old dungeon at gmail.com. Write us in, uh, tell us what you're doing in gaming, ask us questions, whatever. Get yourself in that drawing. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. All right. And that brings us to the uh, to the this old dungeon segment. Sweet. This you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. All right, we're returning with our second foray into Call of Cthulhu. Um, and uh, this time around, we're doing just like probably the best known, uh, well, one of the two best known adventures for that system, uh, Masks. Of Naralethatep. Ah, crap. So I, I, so I hope you guys myself. have about eight hours. Oh, no, wait. Yeah. We decided not to do the whole thing, though. Take it away, Edwin. <laughs> so we decided to do the New York chapter of Masks of Narlethotep, and uh, which is the start of, uh, of this uh, world-hopping, slightly sandboxy campaign. Uh, I actually, uh, so I have the Edition Sans Tour, the French box set, uh print that's what i have physically so that's what i went back and read and they have just some gorgeous gorgeous art um as all their stuff does but so i don't know it'll be interesting for me to see if our stuff's a little bit different i mean i certainly the the main storyline uh is the same uh i guess we could start with that right should uh, i start there uh, yeah well uh you want to go ahead just quick yeah. uh, i i'm i'm poning up with one of the older ones i think this was a a 2010 publication. I think this is maybe the third edition of it or fourth edition of it. Okay. Yeah, it goes uh, back. Uh, it's a. I did not know. Yeah, the, check the when nice it was first new published. one. Published. Uh, Eighty-four. Eighty-four. Okay. Yeah. It came out as a box set. Each each segment of it, each leg of the expedition or, or investigation, I guess would be a better term, uh, was a separate booklet in there. That's what I had got, all yeah. the handouts is little perforated things to to pass out nice. uh and, and while we're talking about its origin because i found this fascinating uh so uh the two credits for writing it is uh lynn willis and he was one of the chaosium writers one of their head dudes and then larry detillo and i saw that i'm like i know that name why is that name so familiar uh so larry detillo is the larry detillo that like wrote all the the old he-man cartoons and did like uh, the whole Shira character Bible thing, invented most of that world, and huh. uh, did a whole bunch of TV shows and stuff, uh, a lot of cartoon stuff. Babylon Five was, oh, wow. was uh, one of his wow. babies. Uh, so the guy guy had some real uh, writing chops. Uh, died of Parkinson's pretty early on. I mean, for well, I guess I guess he was somewhat old, but still, you hate to lose anybody, right? So uh, um, you know, he he passed away in uh, what was it? It was nineteen. Uh, 19- or, I'm sorry, 19. What am I saying? 2019, I think. Yeah. But uh, so just uh, it's amazing, you know, when you get someone that's got like some professional writing credits out in the, 
the realm of TV and movie land uh, coming back down to role playing games. But I guess there's a writer strike that year. And so he wrote a bunch of stuff. He wrote for, <laughs> for Chaosium. He wrote for uh, oh, Tunnels and Trolls and uh, Pendragon and a couple oh, cool. of things. Uh, I have uh, the 2018 Fox slipcase set for 7th edition. That's nice. the one I picked up. So it is actually, it's extremely nice. I, yeah, I, I know it, it might be pricey um, depending on, you know, how much you like to spend your gaming stuff. I I want to say I probably spent around 100 bucks, 120, I don't know, something like that on this thing. But uh, yeah. it's gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous set. It's uh, And having never owned it, uh, I, I, I love having this and I'm, I'm not... Uh, uh, I'm not going to give this up anytime soon. It's going to be good. I, I briefly had the uh, HPLHS, the HP Lovecraft Historical Society uh, box set of props. Oh, the prop set? Oh, man. The prop wow. set. Uh, it, somebody sent it to me, and uh, I was enjoying it. And then a friend of mine was in need, and I, I sent the love along. But uh, I really enjoyed uh, going. I mean, it's it's hundreds it is there's so many this this the campaign as a whole is just chock-a-block with you know letters and business cards and matchbooks oh my god it's so crazy and and so when little inside baseball for all our listeners here so this was suggested by edwin to to do this and at the time he said well we're going to do the new york segment of mass and i'm like and i was very not not really familiar at all with it other than it's a great product and I'm going, I wonder why he's only picking one one piece to do out of here. <laughs> well, if you pick it, you don't realize it. There is a lot going on in this book. Uh, but I mean, this 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 box is is two books. It's it's huge. Two books, and then there's a bunch of DM screen and a bunch of other stuff in there, um, which I haven't opened yet because that's still in the shrink wrap. So yeah, and the, the French so, so mine's is kind a... of the poor man edition. Mine's the perfect bound. You know. In the last almost yeah, so twenty your box pages, is just like my box, that one, right? Yeah, yeah. An inch and a half to it. Yeah, inch and a half, maybe. Oh, wow. Yeah, inch and a half version, but it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's it's. Oh, I don't know. It's mine's full. like mine's no a, space mine, in it. Yeah, mine's at least three inches. Okay. Say like the the last twenty pages of this perfect bound one, uh, from margin to margin is just you know nestled in things that you need to photocopy and cut out as yeah. props throughout the uh, the legs of the adventure. Well, yeah, this one, this one actually has a, a separate guide just to the handouts. It's like, this is where the <laughs> handout is, and this is where they find it. Yeah, and this is where you'd, like, go, and, like, this is why it's important. And, like, it's all, it's, it's got flow charts. It's crazy. Nice. That's yeah, so probably in your Keeper screen pack, yeah. It's probably in my Keeper screen pack, but, yeah, it's it's just, this screen pack's, like, an, an inch thick. It's huge. And both yep. books are at least an inch thick, volume one and volume two. So it's a really neat set, so, I mean, Production value wise, you guys, you guys, uh, honestly, uh, this is, you know, you buy things in the hobby. Sometimes you feel like they're a little overpriced. I, I absolutely feel I got my money's worth out of this. This is a really, really cool set. Um, it's gorgeous and it's uh, going to have, I mean, I, I can already tell it's just hours and hours and hours of me. Well, I know in the, in the keeper's mm-hmm. introduction in mind, it talks about how like, Hey, you know, this is meant to take anywhere from a year and a half to three years to play out. I believe every minute of it. I think yeah, we played right. a year and a half when we when we played through it. So we had our, our Skype of Cthulhu weekly game, and uh, I could check, but I th- it was easy, uh, well over a year. Yeah. And uh, all right. So One actually, maybe thing. maybe. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to uh, talk to the the listeners if they don't know um, these different versions are important because there's different things in different ones. Like they all have the the basic 
uh, New York, London, Cairo, Nairobi, and Shanghai encounters. But then some other editions have the Australia encounter, and some other ones have a, a prelude uh, that happens Peru. in uh, Peru, right? Peru. Yeah, the newest, the newest, the Peru is, was re written recently for the latest uh, publication. So maybe actually, um, just because we almost never get to do this, especially with you, Bill, um, maybe it'd be more fun uh, to have you start with your first impressions before uh, before I talk about it, since this is, I mean, obviously you've been hearing about it for 30 years, but what did you think when you started reading? Uh, it's, it's as amazing as people say. I mean, right, because you hear a lot of hype about things sometimes and you wonder, you know, is it really that good? This this is really that good. I I, I haven't got, obviously, I have not read the whole thing. I'll be a thousand percent transparent. I read the first 30, 40 pages of this book, which is kind of the background of the whole adventure of kind of what's going on. And you the meta plot, the meta plot. <laughs> and it 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 requires that it, it really and there's more. I didn't even get to all of it because I kind of I'm, like I need to get into the meat and bones of what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, there is a lot going on here and I, I'll, I'll tell you right now, it doesn't feel, um, uh, like you're getting bogged down in just a bunch of stuff. It really doesn't feel that way. I think it's presented extremely well. Um, I love the plot of this whole thing. The, the metal plot of the whole thing is, is really cool. It's a great idea. Um, there's, uh, I like innovation in my RPG products. I think there was a lot of it here, especially considering this, you know, considering this came out in, 1984, right? Sounds right. Back, I believe it was 1984. 1984 yeah. is the original. Yeah. So for this, you know, I'm a, I'm a context guy, and I think about what was coming out in 1984. This is this would have been absolutely earth shattering in 1984, and probably it was. I just Cal wasn't part of my world, so um, we played a little bit, but never heard of this back then. Um, so again, I I would tell people just you know don't, don't uh, if you think you want to pick this up, don't hesitate, buy it. So yeah. getting into the uh, specific portion of that we're picking out to kind of review and talk about tonight, uh, it's it's chapter two in my book. Chapter one is like kind of a pre-adventure and chapter two is actually, here's it, it kicks off with this murder that the investigators basically have to solve. Am I summing that upright, Edwin, basically? Yeah. There's yep. a lot more to it than that, but that's, Kind of, I think the hook, right? Does yeah, yeah, that definitely. Yep. So um, it does a really good job of, of bringing it all together and why your players would be invested in this. And, and once they start playing, they'll get it, it, it right away. But there's so much detail of 1928, 1930s New York, whatever yep. it is. It's it's incredible. It's incredible. It's fun to read, even if you never, I mean, look, this is one of these books. If you never played this, this would be a blast to read. Absolutely blast. And I'll probably never play this. I'm sure I never will. Now but, you won't. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but I'm definitely going to read it cover to cover. Um, so I think that's my impression of it is I was really wowed by this. Okay. So, it, uh, and that's not necessarily, as a lot of you guys know, it's not necessarily an easy feat. I, I can be kind of critical on things. I, I know that. Um, I also think for good reason, but I can also be, positive and i know when something is great this is great I mean, there is there's no question about this i mean you know uh it, it's too bad that tillo has passed away because i'd shake his hand i'm that impressed by this thing i mean it really is cool um and getting beyond that you know you know well, i guess we'll talk about this, how we would this whole dungeon it 
you know, this is obviously one of the things I say, I've said it before. There's something you just, you wouldn't mess with. Right. I mean, I don't think I'm probably mess with this at all. Uh, I'm not that versed in the game, so I wouldn't really know how to do that anyway, but uh, I can tell you, it gives you so much information around this little part of adventure, which is basically solving a murder, but um, there's so much more to it than that. Um, and it's definitely sandboxes. So that's the one, one positive thing I'll, I point out too, is there is absolutely nothing in this book that looks railroady at all. This is a uh, go where you go and do what you do. And there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a flow chart in here that says, okay, you know, the players, the players are on this encounter and here's the 80 million <laughs> branches that they can go from here. Yeah. There's, there's no one, the one's not necessarily, right. <laughs> not, one's not always better than the other or, or anything. It's just, this is what can happen just from this first start. There's like 12 different options of, of where they can go. They might not even solve the freaking word. They might just take off somewhere else right away and go to freaking Kenya. I mean, it's yep. really cool, really cool idea. Um, and uh, I, I like that too. I, I'm not a railroad guy per se. So um, I like, but I'm also not a crazy open world sandbox guy either, but this does it in a really nice way. So if you're like me and you're kind of, you like your stuff in a tight little bundle, um, this is a neat project to pull you a little bit out of your safe zone. Uh, I hate even using those two words or whatever it is, safe space, whatever it is. This takes you out of that and gives you a totally different product and a totally different way of looking at things. Would I like everything this way? Hell no. I would, <laughs> I can tell you now, I would not like my D&D this way. I think Call of Cthulhu was meant for this, and this is meant for Call of Cthulhu, I guess. Uh, yeah. And I picked that up right away. I mean, it didn't take me 20 minutes into reading this thing to that's that was what came to my head to answer Edwin's question way back there. As a newbie, how do I look at this and, <laughs> and what do I think about it? So uh, after me saying it's the best thing since sliced bread, I'll let one of you guys go next. So I'm probably the second least familiar with it. Uh, heard a lot of stuff about it. Played Call of Cthulhu quite a bit, but. Uh, but this is just always one of those things I heard about, never owned, never read myself until now. And it's funny because I had this really stupid idea that this was about some like, you know, pharaoh type god that had these masks that you had to go around the world and collect these actual physical masks. And I had this, this real crazy idea what it was going to be about. But uh, awesome. at any rate, uh, like Bill was saying, um, the first couple pages of mine <clears throat> get into this like glossary of people that are part of these you know, adventures you're going on. And uh, the first page was like a half a page. So it was like maybe 12 people. I'm like, okay, 12 people. That's not bad. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's (laughs) what that person is. Okay. Cool. Cool. That's how they're related. Cool. Flip the page. There's like three more pages of that. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) ah, there's no way I can't know all this. I can't do all this. There's no way I could game master this. But you know, suspicions aside, I kept reading and uh, even even back when this version that I read came out, it was very well organized. It was broken down by like each location you might go and check on, what clues were there, what their significant what, uh, significance was, what they might glean from it that might lead them a different place, um, what the characters might say or not say, and how they'll respond to different things. Uh, it, it just is really well laid out. I, I would be confident that, you know, on a, another couple of reads and some highlighting, I'm good to go on this and could start running it. Um, I, I will say that it, it brought an interesting question to my head to, for us to maybe discuss is like, what, what is fun about investigation? Like, mm-hmm. what is it that the players are really going to enjoy about going to these, you know, starts off with this ransacked room that you're, you, you fight some cultists in perhaps depending on when you get there. And, and then there's clues in the room. What's fun about that? What, you know, and how do you, 
you know, mediate that fun or ramp it up or whatever. Thoughts on that? What makes fun uh, or what makes investigation fun? I mean, I think, uh, I mean, it definitely depends on the players, right? I mean, for some, for some players, it's not fun. So just, just lay that out there. Um, but I think in the same way that um, there are some people who like riddles or puzzles in D and D games, um, I think there's some overlap there because it really it turns it into almost um, maybe some of the experience that people enjoy in escape rooms, right? It's all meta, of course. I mean, not all right. Once you have the clues, once you found the clues in character. Uh, you spend a lot of time often discussing them as players and sort of trying to think, and some people, you know, some, some groups do a, a more in character conversation about the clues. And I I feel like most of us do a pretty out of character conversation, but I think, I think a lot (laughs) of it is that kind of uh, just the joy of, of... yeah, the joy of putting puzzles, you know, of, of getting that jigsaw of starting to see the jigsaw puzzle and knowing that you could be completely wrong, but having, because you sort of create this, uh, you create a solution in your mind and then you go further down the adventure and either it's completely wrong, which is super fun or it's right. (laughs) And that's super fun too. So, but I think a lot of it is that you actually have to enjoy that, uh, that part of the game, which is not role-playing so much as um, yeah, as uh, puzzle solving. And not combat, obviously, and it does it does lead to a um, uh, a lot of pacing. It's a very different, like convention games of Call of Cthulhu often are. You know, three hours of what I'll say slow burn, mm-hmm. followed by you know an hour of of terror, whatever. <laughs> um, and if you're trying to do that over you know a year and a half campaign you obviously can't have a year of slow burn so there's got to be a lot of moments when the you know chandler right when the guys come in kicking the door with a gun you got to have some action in there and you got to have some exploration you got to have some uh, social interaction so all of that is going on but you're still sort of building building and then you have some flare up and then you're building a little bit and and then you're unbuilding because you got it wrong, and then you're rebuilding. Um, okay, so I let me look at it again from an outsider standpoint. So yeah, I, I want to look at things too. Like context for me is is, is always got to be a thing. So um, when you sit on the play, this um, I think, Lou, to better answer your question is a lot of times we look at things from the games that we play normally. I think if you're playing Call of Cthulhu, you're playing Call of Cthulhu, right? So when you sit down to mm-hmm. sit down and know you're playing a Call of Cthulhu game you're going to be, you're more invested in that narrative aspect of the game. Like we know this might start out here, but this is all going to go somewhere. So it's like that, you know, player agency, non-agency kind of argument or, or discussion. I think as players sitting around the table playing Call of Duty, you know, you're going somewhere with this game. So no matter how mundane something might start, like this starts out basically with you're, you're, you're invited by this dude and he gets murdered. So, but there's this whole, thing about this expedition that got massacred in Peru and all this other stuff that is might tangentially somehow be related to this or may not be. So I, I think this, I think knowing that you're playing Call of Cthulhu, it kind of takes a lot of that out of there, right? Instead of um, like some of the game systems don't particularly handle this well or don't really work that genre maybe as well as this, this does, I think, as far as players are saying, 
they don't need something to happen all the freaking time. Um, well, the, other, the other thing it getting, does, right? It, it leaves a lot of space for role playing. Sure. And so, you know, because, you know, there's, I think a lot of Call of Cthulhu players really enjoy that, okay, we're in the 20s and we're going to a speakeasy and we're going to yeah. spend the next half hour, 45 minutes in game ordering drinks and figuring out what kind of dances were popular and you know and really diving into that experience and there's going to be a little frisson of terror along the way you know somebody's gonna whatever there's gonna be that guy in the back of the speakeasy who's whatever like something's going to happen that that moves the the story forward the the story the meta plot forward but there's gonna be well, a whole... right so, so i think it's kind of what you're saying exactly i think what we're saying we're just you're going to be, thing, yeah. as a player, I'm looking as a player, you're going to be dialed in because you never know what you're going to come across that might be relevant 20 minutes from now. So right. like you might be in that speakeasy and you might think you're just learning something or doing something, but then whatever, some aspect of that comes into play 10 minutes later. Like you witness somebody that was dancing that shouldn't have been a name that connects to like the police are accusing him of being somewhere else at the time or whatever. So I think there's a lot of that, which makes you pay attention as a player and uh, it takes, I think, a lot of the a lot of the stress off the the game master to feel like he has to entertain you all the time, kind of like yes. in DC, right? So where you're feeling you're definitely just got to constantly keep the players on their toes. I think this game does it by itself mostly. So you can sit um, back as the as the keeper. You can sit back often, yeah, for half an hour or so, and just like carry on. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Perfect. I think it's exactly what I'm trying to say. That's my the one thing. The one thing, and it kind of it goes with what Edwin was saying as far as um, the slow burn. That that's all I've really ever experienced with uh, with this game system is a whole bunch of like finding clues and, and and talking with people, and then it ends with the big scene with the monster. But uh, this version I liked uh, this this particular adventure because it really does pepper in some other things. Like yep. it suggests that hey, if you want to talk to this gal you got to break into this party that's going on and, and make yourself fit in and get up to her and talk to her. And, oh, if you want, you know, um, uh, trying to go one. Of the you other you ones. might break into this warehouse to find out this yeah. bit of information. If you know, you don't have to, you could actually just knock on the door, but it's <laughs> likely that you're going to break in at midnight and whatever. Yeah. yeah. So there's these scenarios of risk and investment and, and, and plotting within the, the players that, uh, that pays out then with the reward of, of new evidence. Uh, and I like that. I like the idea that it's not just, oh, make a library roll. Okay, here's what you get. Here's this piece of paper. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I there's think, even uh, one note where it talks about like the, the actual artifact in this book, anyhow, is almost illegible. And it says, hey, you know, if they make a high enough roll, this is, you know, what it says. <laughs> you know, so you got kind of like, you know, I don't know. I just found that a, a clever use of the rules beyond just make a roll. Okay, you know this. Right. You, know, you have some there's, other, there's so other, much, other avenues. Right. But there's, I think there's, so much in here in, that dances in and around the plot that may or may not even need to be injected into your game that allows you to do things with that free flow, open sandboxy, but we're still going in the direction kind of thing. And again, I'll, I'll just go back to what I believe this book and this adventure does extremely well as it does that. It, so far, my, my glance at just this part of it, um, and I'm assuming the rest does, does the same. Uh, it, I, I don't think you feel like you're on an island like you are with some other games that might be heavily role-playing, but don't really give you the tools to do it. They kind of mm. force you as a GM and force the players. This, uh, this, I think there's a, there's a natural 
progression here that lets you move through things. And again, this, this book in particular gives you a lot of tools to do that. And, you know, moving the plot along here, you, you wind up going to this place called the Juju House in the middle of New York. It's just incredibly cool. So, um, and it, you know, it even talks about things like, hey, your players might want to set this thing on fire, but, you know, just be advised they're going to burn down half in New York if they do that. It might not be the greatest idea of how to destroy this cult. So, um, you know, bring the bring the police and let them start it on fire and burn half the city down. So, it, it, <laughs> <laughs> by the way, the, the police department's corrupt as hell. So, um yeah, very, very cool. So, um, does your um, do your versions of the New York chapter start with like sort of the recent history and what's going on in government, what's going on in music? No. I was because no, no. as I said, I've got this because I've got the the French version. And I was wondering how much of it was because they were writing for a French audience that they felt the need to really give you New York City and and the U.S. Um, in a little bit more. You know, there's a there's you know they talk about each of the boroughs. Uh, as they you know as they were known back then which which i actually didn't know is different than how they're known now and they talk about you know the weather and there's like a temperature chart you know what's the average temperature uh high and low temperature each month uh over a year and uh, history of the police and when the radio police and the mounted police and you know when they started and so the whole mess of just really cool there is uh, some cultural stuff there is something here talks about the temperature i remember seeing it okay so maybe maybe that's one of the things that they've Got a more talk, recent yeah, version. Talks about Harlem in the twenties. Um, yeah, talks about population. What kind of immigrants? Dutch and British. Yeah, um, Ireland, Germany, geography. Okay, let's talk about the boroughs. Yeah, here's a, here's four chapters on the weather. So it yeah. probably is. It might be laid out. Probably laid out differently. But it's all beautiful picture of uh, New York uh, New York Central Library with the lions out front in the snow. That's one, I'm sure the art's got, different, but there's... I don't know if that's in this one. I got the Waldorf Astoria. Mine has really kind of got a here and again art. Like some of it's pretty good. Picture some Manhattan of it looks. Yeah, okay. we got a, a beautiful map of Greater New York, Queens, Brooklyn, Manhattan Island. Yeah, um, nice maps. Really nice. I map. will say one thing that's cool on this edition. This is it turns out this is the fourth edition of this book, um, but it has a whole box that goes through like who added what to it because it, it talks oh, about like, this stuff's originally from uh willis and, and detillo uh and then these things you know these people added in and it, it's kind of cool to kind of see everybody get a little bit of credit there they they do that in this one too it does talk about the different iterations in the very very i did look at the um when i looked earlier when i first looked at the credits um oh yeah, yeah. it does talk about that kind of stuff like uh special so credit the, uh, clear credit it's, it's yeah it's got all this and this, this you know this book's just got so much in it it's 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 a great 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 product I'll, I'll i'll say that everything that you've heard about it being hyped up is true i'm gonna be like like <laughs> han solo when the force awakens it's true every bit of it so one of the uh so on the on the this old dungeon track after you've hyped it up so hard uh yes. one of the things that i have felt about this adventure for a long time is it's a friggin' awesome adventure with about the worst hook ever for mm-hmm. such a big adventure. So the hook as, as the original hook is exactly that there's this guy and you're supposed to go meet him in the hotel and you show up and he's dead. And so you get a little curious, I guess. And because you're curious, you learn about some cults and some, some shady business practices. And then because of that, for some reason, you're supposed to fly off to Kenya and, and like, maintaining your motivation as a character 
while you're being hunted down by, you know, all of these, <laughs> these people and running into these horrors around the world is friggin' hard. And the Peru chapter, I think, was actually their attempt to this old dungeon masks, which was we're going to back up a little bit and you're actually going to meet this guy and like this guy and spend some time with him. And he's going to save your butt a few times. And then you're going to go to New York to, to get something from him. And then he's going to get killed. And so now okay. you actually care about this guy. But in the old version... That that, that's perfect. a hook that's that makes a, perfect sense yeah because right. I, I did skim through the peru the peru chapter in, yep. this, in this book and um i'm like well why is this all in here if they're not going to do it i'm like oh they probably really needed you really needed to kind of do this to, to kick this thing off i don't so know I, how I didn't many realize it wasn't an earlier version but yeah, yeah i could see that's why it's in here now for sure for sure there's so many uh so many call of cthulhu games that i have played especially con games where the hook is you happen to be somewhere and something happens. And, you know, that's a fine hook if you are an adventurer and your goal is, you know, in, like in the D&D world. But if you're playing, you know, I'm a librarian, I'm a restaurant owner, and I happen to be here and this guy happens to get killed or I, you know, I go, somebody goes and they read a will and while they're reading a will, whatever, who cares? Like, it's like... So that the hook issue, I feel like, is one of the big challenges in Call of Cthulhu. So I'm so there is a there was already a this old dungeon band aid put on. Well, I was born to band aid. It's a good it's a good actually uh, it's a good adventure, right? Um, but so that was that's that was sort of my one of the things that I was I've often thought about this adventure. But they've already taken that one. Um, <laughs> and as you say, Bill, it is. Uh, uh, it's definitely the most tempting thing for me is to run it as is. Um, but I guess we're supposed to think of some things we might do differently. <laughs> so I mean, I don't know. I'm always down to try something different. So yeah, uh, go ahead, Lou. Well, I got a couple different routes here. Let me let me narrow in here. Um, so I guess one thing that I thought would be uh, interesting is if you played with a cultist in the party. So like if mm. you got with one of your players beforehand and you set up this, you know, long con sort of thing where, hey, um, you're going to get involved in this, but you've already met with, you know, Carlisle or with whoever and and you're already in on the, on the inside. And it just so happens, you know, you showed up, you know, from, you know, so maybe you were, you know, overseeing that, uh, uh, oh, what's the... The main, uh, the guy that gets killed at the beginning, not Davis. Uh, Jackson Elias. Elias. Jackson, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you showed up to make sure he was done in properly, but then you got caught by these other people, and so this is your cover. And I think that would be interesting to kind of see that play out and and see how, you know, how that player manages that lie throughout the game to the very end and then see, you know, that unfold. Um, but then I just, I feel like this game, could be lifted and put into so many other systems uh, for those people that aren't uh, COC players. Um, you know, I, I kept thinking the whole time reading it that, man, it'd, it'd be great to play this in, in uh, uh, Mark Hunt's BX uh, Gangbusters. Uh, hmm. It'd make for a fun little, you know, 20s romp sort of thing. Um, putting it in space and making Carlisle this like Jeff uh, Bezos, uh, you know, <laughs> going around the universe kind of thing. And, and instead of your, your Africa and your, your Shanghai, you're, you're dealing with, 
planets and colonies on Mars and stuff. And there's some celestial terror out there. I think that could be a fun little, little ditty from it. Um, I was along your, uh, your gangland romp. I was actually thinking that I think you could boil it down and actually just play New York as a pretty awesome adventure and, and even, you know, and, and have a solid conclusion on there. Um, Cause there's, there's enough in here. Uh, I mean, you obviously have to cut a lot of the the things that pull the characters uh, overseas, but I think there is enough here to make it a pretty hot just just to, to make it a murder mystery, like to just run it as a murder mystery, basically. And you'd still end up in the Juju house. You'd still meet, you know, have to meet the sister. Like, there's still a lot of the really cool stuff you would do, and you'd probably still end up fighting the the evil nasties that are in the juju house. And uh, so I think that would be another, another way. I think uh, you could take this is to, uh, you know, switch it from being um, Lovecraftian horror to, to literally being a, a, yeah, gangland murder romp and look at the rival factions just within New York and and play with that for a while. So I I have two, two different things. And I I read this with the thought of, of how would I, this old dungeon it too. So, you know, I did you know, my first reading, being exposed to this, going into a thinking, which was awesome. But it was I was holding myself back probably a little bit because I was thinking, how would I change this, right? You know, what would I do to change this? And 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 I didn't, I didn't honestly, I, I stopped thinking about it because I, I enjoyed it so much. I, I think there's two two ways. One, Luke kind of hit on it um, for a different system because I'm not a, you know. I'm at this point still not well-versed enough in Call of Cthulhu, obviously to attempt to even run something like this, um, this larger scale, but I could see this, um, and I'm going to go back to our email where a guy talked about champions. So there's different ways of playing champions. You can play like 1920s champions. I mean, there's a rule book, there's a, a supplement for that. I, you could actually take low points heroes, say 200 point, and this is not going to make sense to people who don't know champions. But take like two base two hundred point level superheroes in the nineteen twenties and use this New That'd York section because so much yeah. takes place in New York in superhero books anyway. Oh, yeah. And kind of I play totally this see out like Green Hornet, like the that. Shadow, that kind of thing. Yeah, oh, exactly. Awesome. And, and kind of play that out with this cult and this murder and why it's important kind of thing. And you know, you could instead of it being obviously. Something. Yeah, you make him the mayor or something like that. You know, make sure. make, make him yeah. someone important that the superheroes yeah. need to go. Yeah, yeah, and then and then and then put a villain group behind it instead of a a villain culty group behind it. And you could even create, you know, because you can create anything in, in champions, any kind of monster person or whatever with that rule system. Um, I think that would be kind of fun. So hmm. um, it, it would be a great champions adventure based on if you played a game in that era and that kind of thing. I think it'd be cool. I think as far as if you left it as it is, what, like if I was a really good, uh, well-versed Call of Cthulhu, uh, uh, game master, what I'm, I'm probably not even doing that right. There's a rule, right? What is it? It's not referee. Keeper. What the keep, keeper of arcane keeper, lore. Keeper, right? So if I was, I might think about dropping another cult in here and I'm going to steal this from the mummy movie where you have a cult that's actually there, uh, it's not an evil cult, but it's there to protect mm-hmm. like the, it'd be the opposite of be like the arch nemesis of this blood tongue cult. Right. Um, and kind of having them out there and they think the PCs are going to get in the way. So they're after them too. So you could add maybe a little bit more just dumb combat. in if you wanted to, or dumb encounters in here that don't really affect the, the story, but give them more opportunities to, 
have encounters uh, as you go along. And, you know, I guess at some point, if, the, if, they're, if they're struggling, they could make friends with these guys and maybe get some more clues to what's going on. But it's filtered through these guys who aren't necessarily on, their, on the same team anyway, but they're not on the, not on blood ton team. So I, yeah, the, it mentions actually, and I can't remember. It's like the Nyama, and that might even be in here somewhere, the, the, right? <laughs> the cult so. that uh, is like worships like the the old god of Africa, the the main creator god, or something like okay. that. And I, I can't remember what that was in reference to, but it did, did mention something like that. So that that would be a great, yeah, pull in a cult, you know, worshiping that. That's you know trying to get rid of the blood tongues and has the agent there that's kind of. Yeah. looking out from the distance or whatever yeah that'd be great it's just another fly in the ointment kind of thing and and you could drop an encounter or two with them i think maybe yeah. would be something that you could do for fun and give them and that is it's that, always that, nice to have know, do i trust this person or not you know it's sure and i think it's always nice enemy to have my a, enemy is my friend yeah it, like me being a novice guy and if i was running this as my first call Cthulhu thing that might give me uh, that might be my gm you know or keeper tool in my back pocket if i'm screwing up i can always use these guys to fix my screw up and to help things along. Um, if, if I'm not doing a good job that I can provide clues through this other group kind of thing. So it'd be like, it'd be like the bill Barsh cult crutch. Um, <laughs> I think is how I would look at it. So um, that one that of the things be, I, I think, thought of, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, 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 I'm done. Well, I was I'm just going to say um, it, it talks about, you know, the, the main, the main ending for this chapter is there at the Juju house and the secret cult in the basement. Uh, and it does mention this briefly that, oh, you know, you could even have they've got to make these uh, sacrifices every month of two human beings to this creature in this pit. And it says, oh, you could even have one of the PCs be one of those sacrifices. So I think, you know, planning ahead and having it. So the uh, the curator of the, the Juju house, which is this kind of almost like a warehouse of African uh novelties and, and, and talismans and things like that yeah. uh kind of almost like an antique store kind of thing or, or import store um this guy uh, mr quain uh, you could have it so that because typically what's going to happen is your players are going to split up to investigate things and you can have it so that if if a couple players go into this place to talk to this guy he has something all set up for him you know like a little a little carved coffer he says oh you know this this holds secrets about the you know the blood tongue cult and you know, they open it and, you know, the old poison dust or whatever, you know, knocks them out. And then that you get them right in there as being, you know, the ones that are going to be sacrificed. And the other guy's got to come track them down and save them before the mm. time that they're thrown in. And I think that would help a lot. Just having something set up for that. I think these are all good ideas. It's hard to, it's, it's like I said, but I was like, it's kind of really hard to improve on something that is, um, as solid well as this product product is, but I think there's ways to do things that maybe as people who aren't well-versed in Call of Cthulhu or just starting out because I mean, uh, taking us right out of this a little bit into the bigger picture. I mean, Call of Cthulhu is definitely, its popularity has massively, I think expanded in mm -hmm. the last probably, I don't know, four or five, six years for sure. I've, I know I've definitely seen a lot more people playing it that I've never played before. And uh, you, you just see and hear much more about it. So um, I think those are all good points that we I think we've made. And it's kind of great to have a veteran like um, Edwin be able to tell us, hey, this took us a year and a half. <laughs> so kind <laughs> 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 of know what you're getting yourself into. Um, but it, uh, it looks fantastic. And I think it, it probably stays fresh all the way through too, which Edwin could probably speak to that better. But I know we're sticking with New York 
but uh, there's there's enough here. I like yeah, I think we talked about to um, to keep a group busy. And you know, like I said, if you needed to add a couple things, add a couple things um, to help yourself out as a, as a GM. I, I like I said, I'm not the the, the biggest veteran of Call of Cthulhu, but um, there's a, there's a style that I know that I I like to write a lot like Call of Cthulhu stuff and a lot of my D and D stuff. So um, I think don't, you know, if you're a D and D player, don't be turned off right away by thinking, Oh, this isn't something I might be able to do. Cause uh, it's going to, I think you'd be shocked how similar this is to a, uh, a lot of D and D products in a way for sure. Um, and a, a fun part before I, cause I know I'm kind of droning on here um is my mind is always running that this came out in 1984 which is essentially the same time that Dragonlance came up which we talked about earlier it is mm-hmm. amazing to me the stark difference look i i have nothing against weiss and hickman i think they're great i, I think the Dragonlance setting as an idea is a, is fantastic it's one of the better ones it was what how that was pulled off as a module series and how heavy-handed it was like you basically have to play these characters and we're going to railroad you through these 16 adventures and you're going to have fun. God damn it. Um, <laughs> it's amazing to me how this product came out around the same time and how starkly different as a narrative product. Cause this is a narrative game. Mostly um, it's not a, you know, it's not a hack and slash game. Um, how this is done and how that was done. And uh I'm kind of shook by how amazing this is compared to that. Um, and I'm not just, like I said, dogging on Dragonlance because I despise it as a module series. Great setting, terrible. They just didn't. Great idea. They didn't pull it off. This was, this is pulled off. And it's amazing. Again, it came out the exact same time. And to see the difference between the two based on, on what they're trying to do with these, how well this pulls that off. And how poorly Dragonlance pulled that off. Uh, That'd be a neat experiment. To to, I'm sorry. A neat experiment. I was going to say it'd be a neat yeah. experiment to see could you rewrite, you know, a saga like Dragonlance in this kind of format where, okay, you know, if they go here to deal with the problem, this is what's going on. These are, you know. Oh, I, I absolutely, I, I absolutely think you could. I I think the 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 worst thing about Dragonlance is is I think you know I'm not the biggest guy about the biggest sandbox advocate in the world, but I think Dragonlance is perfectly designed for a sandbox style adventures and a sandbox campaign um, and a bunch of modules that, that go in different directions, but have that overarching meta plot with, you know, um, uh, Tiamat in the background, manipulating everything um, or Tarsus, whatever the hell they call her in Dragonlance. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I think, uh, it absolutely could have been there. And it's, it's yeah. interesting to me again, as a, as a D and D guy to see the departure between the way the two companies approach these adventures and how this was done and how that was done at the exact same time. So this isn't a case of me comparing apples and oranges to something that was done in the early eighties to something that was done in the early two thousands. No, these came out at essentially the exact same time. I think that's fascinating to me. It is interesting. I mean, they've got the same, you know, palette of offerings, these, you know, interesting in-depth characters, these exciting locations, yeah. these, you know, yeah, interesting. Awesome. All right. So I'm going to uh, both retract and unretract a few comments here. Okay. Uh, so, so we played from July of 2016 to May of 2018. 
which if you'll well, count two is two years, uh, but it appears we only did 28 sessions. So we had a lot of time off in there. Uh, so that's 60 hours, roughly. Well, 28 <laughs> of, sessions of in 24 months. I mean, I don't. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just, just in terms of, you no, know. No, I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, yeah. but uh, we also, so we keep, we keep notes. Uh, we have a Google, so we play on Skype, right? It's all just chatty chat, but we keep notes on a shared Google Doc. We have 64 pages of notes. Wow. Uh, with a lot of the handouts pasted in. And we also have, on top of that, a spreadsheet with a list of the clues. And you know like, you're gaming when you get a spreadsheet. Oh my god! Yes, <laughs> I think it's amazing. I think you know you're gaming something like this if you have a Google shared doc system, which you, which, which is actually brilliant because I think you would need it for something like this. Oh, right absolutely! Now. You imagine yeah, playing yeah. this in 1984 with none of that. Oh no. man, that you would have like binders, right? And people would be flipping viral <laughs> binders looking for shit. No, it was awesome to, because I mean, we've been doing this for you, but to be able to search the notes and, you know, to, I think there was, a, but of course, then we, we spell stuff different. You know, how many, how many ways are you going to spell no at the tip over, over two years? <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. All and right, that's well, a cool we, artifact. That's a cool artifact for your gaming group to have too, right? I mean, it is. I mean, to even look back on 20 years from now or whatever and say, yep. wow, this was neat. That's, that's, I think that's so cool. All right. Well, I, you know, folks, uh, if you if you don't think you want to buy this now, I, you, you, we're not going to talk you into it because I, I mean, all we've got <laughs> is good things to say about it. We don't got much we can improve on it. Um, I, you know, I, I hope we can get back to it. I know there wasn't much meat on the bone for us to to work with as far as changes, but uh, you know, I do feel like you know revisiting it, you know, a couple months down the road or whatever, and mm -hmm. working our way slowly through it would be a, a fun thing to do. I, I definitely agree. I I'm, I'm all up for that, especially. Um, and now is a good a time to make, I'll make a little mini announcement that that we are um, that, that paysetters. We've been talking with Chaos about doing some work with them. So um, this was this was when, when Edwin brought this up. I was like, I'm all in because I definitely need to get a lot more um, versed with Call of Cthulhu than I am. And I don't want to make it sound like I've never played him. I told you that's that's not true. We we did play. I know the rules. I know how the game works. That kind of thing. I've read other stuff, um, but uh, uh, I think that'd be kind of a cool idea, actually. To, to to you know, I know as often as we can do the show. Probably once, you know, maybe next year Christmas we do the same thing. We jump into uh, the next chapter, the season of the country. Right? Yeah, yeah. It'd be kind of a. We talked about holiday stuff. This could be our our <laughs> massive north to holiday. Uh, and in only seven years, we'll finish. Yeah, well, it's all it takes to play through the thing, so why the hell not? Um, that was one anyway. Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, so, and I mentioned earlier, we were talking about conventions, so um, if, if your conventioners out there and you want to come, Chaosium's right now, their second only convention now is going to be in April coming up in Michigan, and uh, we're going, and, and uh, as Pace said, I'm going to be there, my son's going to be there, um a ton of people that you probably may or may not know are going to be there it's going to be uh, we know a lot of people who are going it's gonna be a great convention it's at a great venue I try to drive up for that yeah it's a really nice venue um that's uh, just outside of ann arbor so uh I, i'm pimping for Cassium. you need to you need to try and go to Cassium con because i think you, i think you'll enjoy yourself especially if you feel like Cassium games you know all, all the variety not just call with people obviously but uh in april michigan is not so bad I mean, it might hit a nice storm <laughs> I mean, it shit happens but it's not dead of winter, guys. So, but you don't have <laughs> your lucky. pie stands open yet. Our what? 
You don't have the pie stands open yet. That's the no, best nothing, part of Michigan no, is all the pie stands. Believe nothing is open yet in Michigan in April. It's still, <laughs> we're still dealing with winter in Michigan. We won't hit 70 degrees till the middle of May. So be advised on that end. But, uh, but yeah, it, it should be exciting. And uh, so it kind of ties a few of those things. And I know we talked about earlier about conventions and, and other stuff. So uh, uh, exciting stuff. All right, real quick here, we got to finish this with a uh, little little bout of uh, geek credit. Hey, hey, you! Do you have any geek credit? Like the recovery dice for uh, for BX, somebody roll me a D three. I'm on it here. Um, I rolled a six, so I guess that's the number three. Number three. All right, Jonathan, you he you had two are out of three. He had two out of three at shots at this. Player. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if he wins, I think this will be a second win through the uh, the Geek Credit Play at Home uh, program. I don't know Seems what likely. we'll be sending you. I've uh, I've just recently got a, a few different things from a couple companies to send out. Uh, so I'll have to look and, and try to figure out what you don't have based on our conversations previously. So. You'll get something. Just trust me. Awesome. Awesome. All right. And uh, Bill, you volunteered to be on the hot seat tonight. So he's probably not getting anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I gave you guys way too many topics that I, I, I regretted the minute I pushed send on the email. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I grabbed two of them. Awesome. I, I, I grabbed two, this. too. So we're going to have to. Come up Rock with a on. fifth uh, somewhere yeah. in between. But no, I mean, I, I have lots of out. questions. Two topics, though. Oh, oh, oh okay. Excellent. Yeah. Great. I was slacking this week. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. Edwin, why don't you start and I'll pop in between yours. All right. So uh, you gave uh, you gave me two authors, gave us two authors, and I figured I would uh, go the literary route. So we're going to start with Michael Crichton. Okay. Co-wrote which of the following video games, Amazon... Oh. The Legend of Zelda, King's Quest, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? I, I don't know anything about video games, so you, of course you had to go there. Uh, <laughs> name them again. Amazon, The Legend of Zelda, King's Quest, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? Which one he did? He did. He, he wrote did. He, wrote, he co-wrote one of those. Let's go with Amazon. Nailed it. 1984. Okay. It, it rings a bell for some reason. I don't know why. I know it was, it was a, apparently it was a hundred thousand copies sold, but is not so uh, popular these days. The the um, the amount of fingers, the amount of pies this guy had his fingers in is inc- oh, yeah. honestly is incredible. Yeah. yeah, it's like he must want ten people, not one. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to jump over to the uh, the D and D basic series here. Okay. So there's a a little loved module by the name of uh, Castle Caldwell. Yes. And uh, there's debate on who wrote it, but who was actually credited as the writer? Which of these names was it? Alan Smithy, John Doe, Zaggag Raggy, or Harry Knuckles? Harry Knuckles. I was going to say it before you got it. on the names, but it's actually Castle Caldwell and Beyond, I think is the actual title. Yes, you're right. I, I didn't get the title right. You're three, right. Three or four adventures in there. Yeah. 
which make no sense whatsoever, by the way, people. <laughs> All right. So the other author that you uh, threw out was Agatha Christie. Yes. Uh, another overachiever. Another overachiever. Well, here's another overachievement of hers. In which sport was Agatha Christie an avid participant? Oh, fuck. I knew this at one point. Football, surfing, fencing, or cricket? Surfing. There you go. Yeah, she surfed. Nice. She was apparently, scene? they think, one of the first Brits to be able yes. to stand up on a surfboard. To ever stand up on a surfboard. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty right, cool I'm going to stick with Agatha here. Um, how many times was the title for the Agatha Christie book about an island where everyone gets murdered changed? Okay. So I'm not, I'm not going to give you the title of it. I'm sure yeah. you know which one I'm talking about. He's already about. answered. It's like so Temple Indians and... Um, we can't say the other one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll, it'll pop my head, but yeah. Then there... Then there were none. Then there were yeah. none. I always yeah. want to say all, it. always, there were all there, then there were oh, whatever, but yeah, then there were yeah. none. Yeah. But so when we did that play when I was in high school, it was 10 Little Indians, uh, which was the original American title. You know, uh, she wrote, um, oh, what's it called? She wrote the longest running yep. play Mousetrap. in the of the world. Yeah, Mousetrap. Yeah. yeah. Yep, that, that was one of your questions that I'm not going to ask you now. Well, see, I'm done. I'm done anyway. I don't care. <laughs> you got the answer before you gave the question. <laughs> All right. All I'll right. ask. Uh, do we have one more? We I can. I it's made my three, right? You made your three. three. Yeah, it's Jonathan gets his prize. Now it's just glory here. All right. Go for it. Well, since we're on uh, and then there were none, why was the original run of and then there were none at St. James Theater canceled? Bad reviews. Two principal actors died. The theater was destroyed. The producers were bankrupt. Probably could have been all of those things because um, it sounds like a book already. Uh, I, I honestly do not know the answer to this. I'm going to guess. Um, let's go with the theater burned. It was bombed in the war. There it is. Yeah. Uh, the war was the play was on during World War II, and the theater got bombed. Yep. Not a scratch on them. Every question right. How about that? Well done. Beautiful. This was a fun, these were fun, uh, fun ones to, uh, to look at. Like, I mean, if, if like, especially like Michael Crichton, I mean, it is, it's great. I, I would bet most people out there have no idea. They, they know like things like, like the show ER. He wrote mm. ER. It's insane. So, right? so in 1994, this is, this was another of your questions that you didn't get. He was the first person to simultaneously top TV, film and book charts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's, er it's, was the tv there's so much stuff i mean I, I like i said i'm a huge michael Crichton fan I, I i was i'm still offended to this day that the second jurassic park movie was ever made because it's such a pile <laughs> of steaming shit compared to the book it does it, it literally makes virtually no it doesn't resemble I, if i tell people if you want to read like if you love jurassic park and you've never read jurassic park you should actually read the book. It's, I have it, only it, read Jurassic Park. It's, it's significant to me. It's significantly <laughs> better than the than the movie. Yeah, I've never um, seen it. But the 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 next book, Lost World, is oh yeah, yep, so much fucking better. That movie was abhorrent for all, but it's actually a really <laughs> really good book. And he like yeah, he yeah. does like he does like to write a lot of science into his. He into writes his the same body. book every time, but they're really good. They're really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, most authors do. Of course, <laughs> so, yeah. absolutely. Find your niche. 
but uh yeah it's amazing like you said i, I remember he did some of the video games but i just i i say i was i remember uh jurassic park i was did he mute we lose him no no oh, you're there still He's there. there i remember reading um jurassic park was it came out right before i left for peace corps and it was like i was on the couch for like a weekend and that that's what i did like <laughs> like, yeah. it was like eight hours yeah yeah, yeah his his books are a lot of like that i mean you, you read them and then can't stop you know, they, it's crazy how they've done some great because he was really really heavy into the film industry and tv industry i mean he really what i don't know how he had time to write everything he wrote um or vice versa but um like so it's funny how some of his movies came off really good some of them just are so awful yeah. i mean congo is a great book again i'm sorry if you watch that movie and you think you never want to read the book i'll try and forget the movie and read the book so much fucking better um god what else fear fear wasn't too bad um is a movie they left they, they ended it kind of it's like they ran yeah, out of money <laughs> about that because i love that movie up to the ending and the ending i'm yeah. like huh really yeah they kind of just they, it's like they ran out of money oh, oh we gotta end the movie yeah. now um but uh same kind of thing but anyway uh, i we're done with my geek credit for at least a year so I'm right. happy. <laughs> well i'm super i'm super excited with our with our new direction because i think it's really nice that without a guest on we can really keep this show to a tight two hours <laughs> yeah. did, did you guys uh did you get a load of the crap that uh that uh eddie and uh, matt were were throwing our way on their show uh-uh. oh yeah yeah i did <laughs> I gave him yeah, a long special time. episode. Oh, that's you know what, and I, I'm gonna forget. So uh, because I always got you know my my brain runs in too many different directions. Uh, long time was great. I, I, that's why I asked earlier if we had done a show. I couldn't remember. So long time was great. I'd never been there before. It was a great little convention. Uh, two or three hundred people, something like that. Um, I, I highly advise going. It's run really well. It's got a great. Uh, uh the it's a it's in a holiday inn but don't let yeah. don't let that bother you it's a really really nice facility and this it has a convention center built onto it uh the the staff bent over backwards there was food available there's food right there it's one of those conventions where you can walk out the door and have your choice of things um if you don't want to eat there it has a full restaurant too full bar a great convention center really nice uh uh venue to have a a, a smaller convention at so if you get a chance anyway, I'm, I'm going to throw it out there. Uh, I think they're going to, they're reaching next year. I think they're going to go Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So it's going to be a little bit longer of a con. So if you got to travel, cool. you get a little more bang it's for your buck. Okay? I realize you got three day conventions. It's hard to travel those because you're going to pay for a flight and all that. And you're kind of like, yeah, I don't know if you know, it's worth it. So they're going to expand a little bit. Um, we're going to go again next year. We're going to run a tournament and all that. Um, I had a blast. It was one run so smooth it was one of the countries you don't notice it's even running so uh that that's a mark of a good con uh so i think it's going to keep growing so if you're interested in a convention in, in early november i know it's not necessarily you know thanksgiving's coming but it's a couple of weeks before it um i i highly highly uh, uh advise you go if you if that's if that's your drive you know if it's an easy drive for you let's say or or something like that you can get a good flight out um i fly down because i have to come from michigan but um really enjoyed it and uh good con nice variety of events and the guys who run it eddie and matt who we were just talking about with uh the the no class podcast no class rpg podcast um yeah. and they do a twitch with uh goodman right 
I think for they do. I've never caught it. I've tried. I it. It's I never on when I go to look for it. Probably need it. Um, but yeah, other than except when they're giving us shit for going too long, they do run a great convention. <laughs> and I will, I will, you know, I just want to remind them the name of their convention is Long Con. So <laughs> there it is. But great little convention. There's my little convention recap. Uh, if you never heard of it or anything else, it's been around for a little while, not too terribly long, but. Um, it, it, it's a fun convention. And Eddie and Matt, I'm just saying, you know, some guises are longer than others, you know, I'm just saying. Whatever. What? Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, it, it, it was a fun time. I had a blast and uh, they treat you right down there. So, and it's Texas. Everyone treats you nice down there anyway. I got to go to Bucky's for the first time ever. That was a super cool adventure. Uh, I flew into Dallas and Gary Oliver drove me from Dallas to Longview. Uh, he was also a special guest at the county. We stopped at a Bucky's. And if you don't know what Bucky's is, Oh my God, you're missing out. It's freaking awesome. So I'll leave it at that. You can Google it. All right. I'm, done. I'm done rambling. I think we better all be done. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, that we, one's we, ready to go to bed. Two hour. I'm just excited that I got geek credit. So I'm now I'm all I'm all hopped up now. You're never going to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. Uh, thank you for joining us this evening. And uh, we'll be back at you sometime in January, uh, maybe with a couple of really good special guests coming your way. So stay tuned. All right. Take care, all. Good night, everyone. Or good day. You've been listening to this Old Dungeon, copyright 2022. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are, well, hey, we're just a bunch of bullshitters, so you do the math. If you have any requests or any correspondence you'd like to send, send it to thisolddungeon at gmail.com. Have a wonderful day.